0: You are listening to Chinese-ish, an SBS podcast about young Chinese Australians for young Chinese Australians. My name is Wang. I'm a journalist and former Chinese international student. I'm recording from Gadigal country.
1: I'm Mark. I'm a fresh out of uni graduate and a young Chinese Australian. I'm recording from Morangiri country.
0: In each episode, we will explore a theme that reflects the daily life of a young Chinese person living in today's Australia.
1: In today's episode, we're talking about Lunar New Year. In particular, we're tackling how to keep Lunar New Year traditions alive through COVID and beyond. What sorts of celebrations count as authentic? And how, or whether it's even possible, to preserve Lunar New Year traditions for future generations in the diaspora.
0: So Mark, how are you going to celebrate it?
1: That's a really tricky question this year. I think usually we would, like, make time to visit some relatives across town and have dinner together. But this year, it's been a bit tricky trying to plan around that because COVID and everything, it just doesn't feel like the safest time to be able to do that. What about you? What are you doing, Wing?
0: Oh, it really, really, really depends on COVID. I have been feeling really frustrated that it's the third year that we will be celebrating amid COVID. I really clearly remember that in 2020, it was also in January and also a few weeks before the Lunar New Year, Australia had the first case of COVID-19. And since then, we've just been in lockdown, lockdown and lockdown. This year, I will be in Sydney. So hopefully, if, if the COVID situation isn't that bad, I would be going to Chinatown and hopefully I can see some traditional performance like lion dance, for example.
1: We don't usually go down to Chinatown. We kind of just do our Lunar New Year dinner at whoever's house, whether it's our house or our other families. You mentioned that there was lion dancing in Chinatown. What is the vibe usually like there around this time of year?
0: Wait, you've never been to Chinatown to watch lion dance?
1: That's correct. Serious? Yeah.
0: That's actually a big shock for me because I thought that lion dance would be something that you watch very normally when you grow up, especially when you're interacting with the Chinese community. Like, I mean, I grew up in China, despite the fact that nowadays the city, the urban areas, there are fewer and fewer traditional events or performances like lion dance, firecrackers, those sort of things. It's still quite common for us to like watch lion dance performance and i know that chinatown is very famous for lion dance as well but how come you never watch it
1: yeah i guess i never saw it just because we don't usually go down to chinatown during lunar new year so that's not really like a big thing for us i think for us the chinese community quote-unquote in australia it's really just sort of like us and our family and our family friends so when Lunar New Year rolls around, those are the sort of things that we organize. You know, spending time with family is special, right?
0: Really interesting. That's really interesting. But I know today we also have a guest who is doing something that's completely different from you.
1: I am really excited to learn a bit more about lion dancing today and just generally have a chat about Lunar New Year traditions. Uh, joining us on this episode is Elvis Tran, who, among many other things, helps to organize lion dances around his hometown in Springvale.
2: Hi everyone, my name's Elvis, I'm a third-year university student studying biomedical science at Monash, and as Mark mentioned, a part of what I do around this time of the year is organise line dancing and also martial arts performances, which I guess intertwines with the line dancing that I do. So that keeps me busy around Lunar New Year, and in terms of my family background, I am Vietnamese-Chinese. My parents are both from Vietnam, but their parents were originally from China, so I guess I have that Chinese ancestry, although most recently my family's been Vietnamese.
0: What made you join and start to learn lion dance?
2: I guess this journey starts from back in 2010 almost. I had initially joined this martial art group called Vovinam, which is a Vietnamese martial arts. And about a year into our establishment as a club, we decided to form a lion dance team because some of the senior instructors had previously done lion dancing for much larger organizations and they wanted to bring that to our martial art group. I started learning from them and it started off being just the basics, the instruments and then eventually when we first of all had enough lions because they're quite expensive actually, you have to purchase them from overseas and have them shipped to Australia. Once we had enough lions and once we were good enough as well, we started to rehearse some performances and yeah, we've been doing performances ever since for our local temple. And I think slowly, now that we're a bit more established, well, at least if COVID were to go away as well, we'd be looking into performing for more local communities and things like that.
0: So a little bit context for our listeners who are not from Melbourne. Springfield is kind of like a really multicultural hub in Victoria, where there's a really big Asian community there. So just like Elvis said, there was Tempos and also certainly now lion dance performance. My next question to you is what is the training like?
2: So I think there is definitely the physical fitness element of the training where you have to be fit enough to hold up the lion, which is quite heavy. I guess for someone who might not do physical training, you have to be able to last throughout the whole performance because it is quite the cardio activity, whether you're in the head or the base or the tail. So there are kind of two people involved in line dancing, one person acting as the behind two legs or the tail or the base, and one person as the head controlling the movement of the head. So whichever role you're in, you have to be able to fulfill the physical demands of the performing. Apart from that, training also involves more technical aspects. So how to move the line head, or if you're the base, how to coordinate with the head. And there's another big part of line dance, which is the jumps. So that involves the person at the front or the head jumping onto the base, onto their legs or their chest or head or standing on their shoulders. So I think the training involves both the physical aspects of being fit enough to do it or strong enough to do it, especially if you're the base lifting like an entire person and the lion head onto you, but also the you know technical aspects of so making it look nice, how to move in a way that looks like a lion, how to coordinate with your partner to really have fluid movements and be able to put on a really good show for the crowd.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like Lunar New Year must be a really busy time for everyone who's involved, really. Do you guys just sort of perform on the day itself or do you do stuff in the week before, in the days after? What does that time period generally look like for all of you?
2: So in terms of line dancing, I guess the biggest performance would be on New Year's Eve, Lunar New Year's Eve. So that's kind of really welcoming the new year with line dancing, sometimes there's firecrackers, or more often than not there is. It's really loud, festive, really lively, and following that period there's also a lot of line dancing pretty much the first week of the new year. So for my local team at least, we primarily do the Lunar New Year's Eve performance, but for more established organisations, they're actually booked out for gigs throughout that first week of Lunar New Year. So that's performing for restaurants, shops, businesses, pretty much any place which wants line dancing to bring in good luck, prosperity, good fortune for the year because that's a really big part of the culture, as I'm sure you both know, where you really want to welcome in all the good luck and kind of dispel all the bad luck from the previous year. So line dancing is kind of a really pivotal and uh, it's kind of like a statement that, okay, the Lions are here to bring in good luck and that's why most shops, businesses would really Mm -hmm. want to invite and hire line dance teams to perform for their shops during that first week of Lunar New Year.
0: Do you think Melbournians love watching line
2: dance? Yeah, I think it definitely is kind of a point of the year where everyone really looks forward to. I can't really speak for all Melbournians, but I certainly do look forward to the line dancing. And I'm sure whether it's a part of your culture or not, it's just nice to see, you know, these four-legged creatures dancing to loud music on the streets with firecrackers and I'm sure it's uh, quite the spectacle, regardless of whether you celebrate Lunar New Year or not. I'm sure people, uh, especially Melbournians, would enjoy it, yeah.
0: I grew up in China and when I was a kid, like five years old, I went back to the countryside, to the village where my grandparents lived to celebrate Lunar New Year. And there's, there are definitely lots of traditional events like lion dance, firecrackers, those sort of things happening in the rural area. But in the urban area, um, it's getting harder and harder to see, for example, firecrackers. Even if it's like lion dance, you only see in a like special occasion. Nowadays, in Lunar New Year, you may have lion dance, but it's not as frequent as it is in the past. So I have been feeling and I've been also doing some reading, which is really interesting about the overseas Chinese diaspora, like the Chinese-Australian community. And it's about how they have been trying to preserve these sort of traditions overseas. Apart from these, are there any traditional things that you have done during Lunar New Year?
2: I think definitely yes. Just to clarify, I think we celebrate Lunar New Year in a more Vietnamese tradition, and it's known as Thut. I think there are a lot of similarities between the Vietnamese way of celebrating Lunar New Year and the Chinese way. Something that I can think of, for example, is wishing your elders a prosperous year or a year of good health and kind of receiving a red pocket from it. I think it's called bai nian for you guys.
0: Yes, bai nian.
2: Bai nian, yeah. So there's a similar thing called Chup in Vietnamese where on New Year's Day, you would go around to your family members' houses and kind of wish your elders a prosperous year with good health and they'd exchange or they'd give you a red pocket, but also they'd wish you to either listen to your parents, study hard, get a good job, make money, like kind of anything that relates to financial security and raising a family. So, yeah, I think there's that, which I do. There are a lot of other niche things as well, which I'm not sure if they're the same in the Chinese way of celebrating. But, for example, the type of foods that we eat. So around Lunar New Year every year, there is what we call banh đất. I'm not sure if I'm saying right, bánh đếc, bánh or bánh chưng, these different kind of... I think it's similar to zongzi, Mm. Like, the sticky rice, glutinous rice thing. A lot of that is eaten around đất, or Lunar New Year, for Vietnamese people. There are, like, traditions uh, which, I think, revolve around superstition, so you don't want to sweep your house in the first few days of Lunar New Year because you don't want to sweep away the good luck.
0: Oh. I know that and I actually my family strictly follow this one.
2: Yeah, yeah. So like the little things like no washing, no sweeping, no breaking plates is a bad sign of bad luck, things like that. And
0: not wash your hair.
2: (laughs) Pretty much. So those little things, we don't follow to the T, but I guess they're there, like you keep them in mind. And it's really dependent. I'm not speaking for all Vietnamese families, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, This is just my personal experience. Mm -hmm. And I think there are families who really go hard on the little things and different foods, families that really make an effort to go to the temple, or the church or their religious rituals. For me personally, I think our family mainly goes around to our the family members that we do have in Australia. We go around to their houses wishing them good luck. And I think there's another thing, I'm not sure if this is the case in the Chinese way of celebrating, but if you're the first person to enter someone's home, Like, you are the deliverer of good luck. Oh, really? In Vietnamese, it's called som nhã. For example, if I went to Mark's house on the first day of Lunar New Year, I would be doing that for Mark, and then I'm kind of like the deliverer of good luck. So you kind of want a good person to be entering your house on the first day of Lunar New Year. And that's why usually it's like your family member or someone who brings good luck. And if it's a stranger, it'd be like a very weird occurrence.
1: Between the lion dancing and the family stuff, it just sounds like that's a really like, jam-packed time period for you. Does it all happen on the one day or do you kind of do like a week of celebrations? Like, yeah, what's the situation with timing there?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I think I've been rambling on, on a lot. So I'll go through like kind of like the chronological order of a uh, sequence of events. Usually the week or so before, that's like the preparation period. And I'm talking the week before Lunar new year Day where you're buying foods to prepare the foods that you eat on Lunar New Year and throughout Lunar New Year or throughout the celebration. And then there's the pivotal Lunar New Year Eve where most families either go to temple, church or even your family member's house if there's a big gathering to really welcome the New Year together. In the Vietnamese tradition, at least, the first three days of Lunar New Year are extremely important. Everyone celebrates them. And then I think beyond that, it really depends on how festive or celebrative your family is. So some families might do a week or even 10 to 14 days of celebrating the Lunar New Year, where each day there's a, I guess, different focus. Although my family, we primarily only celebrate the first three days, known as Mummok, Mumhai, and Mumba, so the first, the second, and the third, where each day is kind of dedicated to a different reason. There's a different day for elders, different day for, I'm not entirely sure, but that's the gist of it. All I know is I go to My great aunt's house. I wish her good luck. I wish her to live 100 years. I wish her good health and she gives me a red pocket. So
1: yeah. So I think there's like a real range of what's going on around Lunar New Year, which I find really interesting.
0: Do you get the red pocket though, Mark? That's the essential question.
1: Not anymore. It makes me so sad, but not anymore.
0: In my scenario, as long as I'm not married, I will still get it. I will start giving the red pocket money once I become married. What is your case, Elvis?
2: I think it definitely, once you are no longer like a child, you won't be receiving red pockets from everyone anymore. And then when you're kind of more a young adult, I think there's like a fine line. For example, you are working a full-time job. I think that's a different story as well. But obviously people don't, you know, ask you first, hey, are you working full-time? Yes, no? All right, you won't have this then. It's more like a thing in the back of people's minds where, you know, if you're working a full-time job, you're considered an adult, a self-sufficient adult who's making their own income. And although, unless it's like your grandma or your family member, I feel like unless... You're married, like you said, wing. That's probably the next step or consideration in terms of whether you get a red pocket or not.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's all intel that you have to kind of like suss out throughout the year. Like I can really imagine aunties just kind of sitting around trying to like figure out what's been happening and all of that kind of stuff.
2: Oh, honestly, there's no effort made. It's just gossip. Like, hey, you know, what's this person doing? Are they, you know, a doctor yet? Are they this and that? (laughs) Yeah, and it's kind of like you
1: can't even stop your own parents from flexing if and when you get a job. So it's like from the minute you get a job, like that is public information to the family. You're exposed. You're never getting a red pocket again.
0: What kind of things that your parents will say, Mark, in your only celebration of that
1: dinner? (laughs) Yeah, we don't even really say anything or do anything because like... Most of our family is in China and we don't really celebrate with them. We kind of just go over to my like great auntie's house or whatever, because she's the only one who's here. And so there's no particular like ritual or custom that we follow. We kind of just like see them, wish them a happy new year, eat and kind of go home.
0: Will your aunties ask you about your relationship?
1: A little bit, but like I deflect most of those questions. It's really weird talking about that stuff with family, I feel like.
0: I'm asking that question because this is a really frequently asked question in China. In particular yeah. during Lunar New Year. Everyone just care about where you're working and whether you get married or if you're not getting married, are you dating someone? Just like what Elvis you said. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case
2: in the Vietnamese diaspora in Australia as well. People are interested in what you're doing for work. Do you have a partner? That kind of thing. But also, Mark, I'm interested to hear, like, for me, I was like, it wasn't even a choice that I made. It's just things that I was exposed to and eventually, like, picked up, like, line dancing, martial arts, and even the little traditions and celebrations that we do, going to the temple or church. But for you, like, it's kind of been something that you haven't been exposed to. So is it something that you're wanting to involve yourself with more now that you're hearing about other people's experiences? (laughs) So
1: I don't know if there's a desire to do more of it as much as like a general kind of desire to learn more about it, maybe, because it wasn't something that I was ever really exposed to growing up. And I always feel a little bit weird about it because like growing up here, you want to know more about your culture. You want to like cling onto to it as much as possible. But it's also a thing of like being kind of like Australia now, more or less, you know, it's like balancing those desires, I guess.
0: Do you feel the urge of celebrating Lunar New Year when you grow up here in Australia?
2: I don't think it's as much of an urge as it is to like maintain something that I've been doing because it'd feel weird if I wasn't doing the things that I'm doing right now as opposed to like innately wanting to celebrate Lunar New Year. So I think because of the experiences that I've had, Lunar New Year always is a time that brings around a lot of joy. You know, it's a really festive time. And I think most importantly, it's an opportunity for everyone to come together as a family or with your friends and really start the year off well. So that aspect of it, I definitely want to keep and maintain. So in that sense, I'd want to continue celebrating new years in the future. If I was in Mark's shoes, I don't know if I'd just go out of my way to kind of make it a part of my life when it hadn't already been a part of my life.
0: I had more similar feeling like you, Elvis, when I was back in China. Like, I feel that this is something that's scheduled when it comes to Lunar New Year. I would just do whatever my parents want me to do because this is part of my life. I don't really feel that I volunteer to celebrate it. But after I moved to Australia, it's really strange because... I start to Google search when would be the Lunar New Year because I was eager to know about the date so that I can celebrate it. Despite the fact that my families are not here, I will still go around and ask my Chinese friend and say, hey, do you want to go out for dinner in Chinatown on New Year's Eve? And it's a really interesting feeling for me because I think at that time, I realized there's an urge for me to go back to do the traditional things that I think I never pay attention to in the past. How about
1: you, Mark? I don't know if that means I'm not celebrating in, like, an authentic way anymore, if it means I'm, like, watering down the holiday or whatever, but I'd be curious to bounce it back to you, Ling. because, like, you were talking about the way you celebrate now, that kind of, like, going out to dinner and then seeing what you can find in terms of traditional, like, celebrations or stuff to do, right? This is going to sound a little bit like a loaded question, but I promise I don't mean it in, like, a loaded way. I guess I'm just curious to, like, ask whether you think of what you do as like authentic or traditional or whether it's kind of just like your version of things.
0: I come up from a canonist background. Lion dance is actually a really important part or important tradition in my culture. And I feel that like once I grow up and I live in Australia, far away from my family, I feel that I'm embracing these sort of like so-called traditions more for some reasons that I'm still trying to figure out, probably identity. But I'm also pretty much aware that the Chinese community here in Australia is so diverse. Like, for example, just these arguments about dumplings, like do you eat jiaozi, the dumplings, or tangyuan, the sweet dumplings, on the Lantern Festival, everyone just have really different idea about how you celebrate it. That idea is the tradition they see. For me, going to see a lion dance is certainly a tradition, but I'm not sure if that's also the same tradition that other Chinese people will share in Australia. Yeah. And for me, of course, another tradition is to go to yum cha, which is my favourite. And I know that lots of Chinese Australians here, they will also go to Yamcha cha in Chinatown during the on the Nuna New Year. But if you ask me whether I would be like Elvis that, I love the tradition so much that I would join a lion dance team. I probably not. Not just because I thought it was like really challenging and physically tiring, but also like that's my limit to embrace my tradition. So what about you, Elvis? How do you think about everything that you've done, like embracing these traditions? Do you feel that you're doing something that's like authentic?
2: It's interesting because... Like I never joined Line Dance with the intention to maintain or like celebrate Lunar New Year authentically. Although what I can say now is that I am extremely grateful for the opportunities that I've been given to really learn about Line Dance, even the symbolism behind some of it, the history behind it. Like I used to take a lot of the things that I do for granted, whether it's just celebrating Lunar New Year with my family through the red pockets or seeing family members all of it was kind of just like you hit the play button and you're just it's just rolling rather than you intentionally doing these things with the awareness of their cultural significance so having that knowledge and understanding now yeah I think I hope to really continue to learn more about it and to maintain the things that I'm doing especially for people who haven't had the opportunity to experience it like for the past few years, I've always invited my friends who don't celebrate Lunar New Year's to the festivals and to the performances, so they can get like an idea of what it's like. I'm not looking to really recruit them to do line dancing, but it's like, hey, this is my culture, this is what I do, hopefully you get to see it and experience it as well. So I think that would be my direction moving forward, where rather than picking up things that other people might do, who are, I guess, more devout about the whole Lunar New Year celebration, I'd at least hope to keep the things that I'm doing going and alive and, you know, spreading that to people and really giving them an opportunity to know what it's like to be around Lunar New Year's in one aspect.
0: How do you view this idea of authenticity? Like, how do you learn whether this is authentic or not? Does it actually matter?
2: Just going back to your food question, Wing, I feel like just because Chinese food in Melbourne doesn't taste like Chinese food in China doesn't make it not authentic. It's just the fusion of ideas that have been brought from China in like an Australian setting that makes it authentic in its own way. So by the same token, I think in terms of like the way you celebrate Lunar New Year, as long as you're doing it according to you, as long as you're being true to what you know, I don't think anyone else can really invalidate that. So that'd be my opinion on what makes something authentic or not.
1: Yeah, I guess we've talked a lot about how you celebrate Lunar New Year with like your parents, your family, your elders. Thinking forward, do you see yourself celebrating Lunar New Year with your own children in much the same way that you grew up with?
2: Yeah, um, that question's still up in the air. But if I were to have kids, I think I'd really want them to experience everything that I did, although I'm not sure to what extent, because I think this brings in the question of like how much of your culture you want to preserve and what aspects of your culture you'd want to keep i'm not sure if you both have been asked that question before as a part of chinese culture for example would you i don't know if this consists of chinese culture but like want your kids to have piano lessons and tutoring and you know all that that comes with being australian chinese or chinese australian so i think in this sense i would want them to enjoy the festivities but for example like wing not that i do all the things that you do but some of it kind of sounds like a chore, right? Like, you know, or having to greet Uncle 12345 and do Ba to Auntie 678910. Like, don't know how much of that I'd want to keep. But if anything, hopefully, when I do have kids, my parents will be around and they can kind of experience Lunar New Year's with my parents too. So it saves me from doing a bad job in trying to give them the Lunar New Year experience. <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening to Chinese-ish, an SBS podcast about young Chinese Australians for young Chinese Australians. This episode is hosted by Wing Kwong and Mark Yin. Our sound designer is Max Gosford. Our lead podcast producer is Rachel Sibley. Our digital audio and podcast manager is Carolyn Gates. And special thanks to Tanya Lee from SBS Chinese.
0: For more about Chinese-ish, follow us on social media or check out our website, sbs.com.au slash Chinese-ish. Remember, it's Chinese hyphen H